Genesis chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? He said, Behold, I've heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, we are servant, we, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. They said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your younger brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. They put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine for your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. When he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes, and Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money's been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. 
saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine for your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. When they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Now the famine was severe in the land. When they had eaten the grain they had, they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you'll send your brother with us, a brother with us, we will go down to buy you food. But if not, if you will not send him, we will not go. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you have another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say to us, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me. And we will rise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we have now, would have now returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, It must be so, then do this. If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags. Carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am a bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin, and they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time we were brought in. So they may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants 
and Caesar donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. When we came to our lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought our other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put your treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then he hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Hebrews. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we approach this passage of Scripture, as we see your hand of providence turning the situation around, not just the situation of Joseph's captivity, but the situation of the hostility between Joseph and his brothers. Lord, we praise you, for you are indeed sovereign. You are sovereign over circumstances, and Lord, you are sovereign over the hearts of men. And so, Lord, as we approach this passage of Scripture, help us, we pray, to see your hand of providence, to rejoice at your hand of providence, to worship you for your hand of providence, and to look for your hand of providence in our lives. As you are working in our hearts and redeeming the circumstances and the trials that we face for your glory and our good. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I've often wondered at the meaning of Proverbs 17:17. 17, 17. Is the proverb contrasting the love of friends with the often rocky relationship of siblings? 
Proverbs 18, 19 does say that a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. I have seen just how common and intense conflict between siblings can be. And there, there has certainly been adversity between Joseph and his brothers. But as we look at the chapters now before us, chapters 42 and 43, and into chapters 44 and 45 that we'll look at, Lord willing, next week, could it reflect the other potential and I believe more accurate interpretation of Proverbs 17, 17? Emphasizing the way that friends are always there, but siblings will be there for you in case of an emergency. In chapters 42 and 43 of the emergency, of course, is the, is the famine that is extending through throughout the ancient Near East, extending into, into, from Egypt into Canaan and beyond. Will Joseph be there for his brothers to provide them with food? And will they be there for each other in these chapters and later chapters? Now, they certainly hadn't been there for each other up until now. As a result of Jacob choosing Joseph as his favorite and giving him a coat of many colors compounded with Joseph's unwise sharing of his dreams that represented his, his brothers and even his father and mother bowing down before him, his brothers hated him. Now remember, these, these brothers were, were guilty of mass murder in Shechem. They hated him and they planned to kill him, so they threw him into a pit and then heartlessly sat down to eat their lunch. Now Reuben, the eldest brother, had tried to talk them out of it, but, but he seems to have, have gone elsewhere. And when Ishmaelite traders passed by, Judah suggested that they should profit from getting rid of Joseph, that they should sell him into the hands of these traders in order to be done with him and make some money at the same time. And the brothers then lied to their father, telling them that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. And the traders took Joseph and, and brought him down to Egypt as a slave to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. But after gaining Pharaoh in Potiphar's sight because the Lord was blessing Joseph, Joseph was caught in the sights of Potiphar's wife. He resisted her repeated attempts at seduction. But her false allegations against him landed him in prison, where once again, once again he earned favor, but this time in the eyes of the jailer. And when Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and baker were imprisoned by Pharaoh, Joseph was given responsibility to look after them. And when they dreamed troubling dreams, the Lord enabled Joseph to successfully interpret the dreams. The cupbearer was restored to his office, but the baker was executed, just as Joseph had said would happen. Joseph asked the cupbearer to remember him before Pharaoh when he was restored to his position, but the cupbearer forgot. For two whole years, Joseph remained in prison while the cupbearer forgot until Pharaoh had two troubling dreams. The first of Pharaoh's dreams, as we saw last week, was, was 
that seven skinny, ugly cows would arise out of the Nile behind seven plump and attractive cows, and these skinny, ugly cows would devour the plump, attractive cows, but remain just as skinny and just as ugly as they were before. And the se in the second dream, seven blighted ears of grain would devour seven healthy, plump ones. Joseph was called out of prison to interpret the dreams. He explained that God was telling Pharaoh that there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine because of severe drought. And Joseph explained that they should store up grain during the seven productive years in order to have provisions during the drought. Joseph was made prime minister of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, and was given the job of administration for the collection and distribution of the grain. At the end of seven years, at the end of the seven years of plenty, the drought began, just as Joseph had said it would. And the famine had spread from, from Egypt into the surrounding nations. And people came from these countries to buy grain from Joseph. And then that takes us to the end of chapter 41. And now we're, we're leading up to the climax of Joseph's story in the Bible. Chapter 42 describes the, a tense family reunion as the brothers come to Egypt looking for food. And chapter 43 describes that their second journey again for food, but also to retrieve their brother Simeon. In both chapters, Benjamin figures prominently by his absence in chapter 42 and his presence in chapter 43. And all the although the drama unfolds primarily through the, the words and the actions of the principal human actors, God is clearly behind the scenes orchestrating the whole production. And so the action is going to move pretty quickly here through these chapters. In verses 1 to 5, Jacob sends Joseph's brothers to Egypt. In the beginning of chapter 42, again, we find out that, that the famine has hit Joseph's family in Canaan. Jacob found out that there was grain for sale in Egypt. Now, now we have not heard anything at all about Jacob since chapter 37 because the, the story has, until now, centered on Joseph. But remember, this section in Genesis is entitled The Toledot of Jacob. This narrative is about, is about the generations of Jacob. It is not all about Joseph. It's about the whole family. It's about the wider story of, of Jacob's fractured family. These brothers, Jacob's sons, are the forebears of the 12 tribes of Israel. They are the foundation of God's covenant people. If this family died in the famine, it would be the end of the promised seed. Only Joseph would remain alive. And remember, it is Judah, not Joseph, who has been chosen as the fulfillment, or his progeny would be chosen as the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, the, the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. This family needs food to survive, and this family needs to survive. But they have another problem beyond survival. Their sin 
Jacob adds, says to the brothers, sounding quite harsh, I might add, why do you look one another? Why do you look at one another? Why are you standing around blinking? Well, I'll tell you why they're looking at one another. Egypt. Egypt. They had sold their brother into slavery in Egypt. The mere mention of Egypt was a trigger for them that reminded them of their guilt. Are there topics of conversation that, that trigger feelings of guilt in your heart? Are there situations in your life that, that bring to mind past sin and make you feel shameful? Well, those who haven't sought forgiveness from the Lord and, and those who have sinned against the Lord will often, or have, not, have confessed their sin against Him, will often be reminded of, of their guilt. But if, if you do not have those feelings of guilt anymore, why not? Well, I hope it's not because your conscience has become so seared that you don't even feel the guilt anymore. If that's the case for you, then, then you are in big trouble. But maybe you don't feel guilt anymore because God has taken your guilt away because you have repented of your sin. You have, have confessed it to Him and to those you have wronged. And it's been clear that the slate has been wiped clean. What are those things? What are those triggers that bring guilt to mind? Maybe this is a reminder even now for you at this moment that this is something you need to deal with before the Lord. The brothers are sent looking for food. But the Lord wants to do more in the promised seed than just save their lives. He wants to transform them. God, in His magnificent providence, is orchestrating all of these events, all of them, in the life of Joseph and his family in order to lay the foundation so that these men and those who will follow them will be true children of God. God's providence to these ends is, is seen in, in every chapter of this Toledot, in the story of, of Joseph and his family. It's seen in every chapter of Genesis. It's seen in every chapter of the Bible. Jacob tells his sons to go to Egypt. But he doesn't send Benjamin with them. Again, Jacob's favoritism rears its ugly head. And Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead and that, that Benjamin is the only son of his favorite wife, Rachel, who's still alive. He's in effect saying to the brothers, you are expendable. But Benjamin isn't. So go, get the grain. And the plot thickens. In verses 6 to 9a, the, the brothers bow before Joseph. Now the scene cuts to Joseph. Reminded that, that he is governor in the land. He's in control of the distribution of the food. And people from the entire region are coming to him looking for food. And now his brothers come to him. And they bow themselves with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognizes them. Because his, his, but they don't recognize him because his, his beard and his head have been shaved. He's dressed in fine Egyptian clothes and decked in jewelry. They don't recognize him. And he, 
he continues in that, that lack of understanding and he treats them like strangers and speaks roughly to them. Where do you come from? Joseph has a plan. The same God who has given him so much wisdom to govern the affairs of Egypt has given him wisdom in his conduct here. The brothers answered, from the land of Canaan, to buy food. Joseph remembers his dreams from all those years ago, around 22 years ago. 22 years. Sometimes God seems to be working slowly. Just one small example in my life is I'd started thinking about getting married when I was around 27. Now, I'd never been promised a wife. I'd never had any prophetic dreams about, about getting married, but I wondered if God was ever going to answer my prayers. For 15 years, I waited. I married Jane when I was 42. Now, why did God not provide me with a wife much earlier? Well, he was waiting until Jane grew up. He was waiting because he had more things that he wanted to do to prepare me for marriage and prepare her for marriage. I wonder what is God doing when he delays answering your prayers, whether it's for marriage or children or health or overcoming sin or, or the salvation of a loved one? What is God doing when he delays? Now, quite often you don't know what God is doing when he delays, but you can know that he's doing something. And you can know that whatever he's doing is far better than you can imagine. Maybe he's delaying so that your heart will change, so the thing you're asking for, you'll begin to realize you never should have been asking for in the first place. W. Lee Humphreys writes, A long span of time has passed for the family as well as for Joseph, but whereas Joseph's condition during this period is fundamentally transformed, the family seems unchanged when we, when we once more center on them. And we'll see through this chapter and the chapters beyond here that God is doing a work in their hearts as well. Now this bowing of Joseph's brothers before him is not the full fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. Remember in those dreams it was all 11 brothers bowing before him. In the second it was even his father and mother this is a partial fulfillment. There's more to come. Verses 9b to 20, Joseph tests his brothers. He continues to speak harshly with them. He accuses them of being spies, a charge that they vehemently deny. Now, Joseph is not being vindictive here. He's trying to ascertain their character. Now, watch as his calculated plan begins to unfold. The brothers add to their defense in verses 10 and 11. They say, we are servants. Come to buy food. We're all the sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Joseph presses further, looking for more information. No, you want to expose the land. And now they spill the beans. Your servants were 12 brothers. The sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan, the youngest is now with our father and one is no more. They've now given Joseph the information he's looking for. He's now found out that his, youngest, his younger brother, Benjamin, is still alive. 
They've also given Joseph the basis for testing their honesty. Again, he presses, you are spies. He tells them he's going to imprison them until Benjamin comes. He tells them to send one of them to go and get Benjamin while the rest of them wait in prison. He locks them all up for three days. I wonder what was going on in their hearts and their minds during that time. What kind of conversations were they having amongst themselves? On the third day, he tells them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. Now, Joseph knew when they said they were honest men, he knew that they were lying. And they would have doubted his words when he said, I fear God. How could this Egyptian know who God is, let alone fear him? Joseph tells them now to leave one of their brothers in custody while, and take the rest back with grain to feed their family. And he says, bring your youngest brother back so your words will be verified and you shall not die. Now, none of them is quick to volunteer. Joseph is here putting them in similar situations that they've been in before. Will they leave a brother imprisoned while they go on their merry way as they had done to him? Again, this isn't vengeance. Joseph is testing them, seeking to gauge what's in their hearts. Verses 21 to 28. Joseph's brothers begin to show remorse. Now the brothers speak to one another. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. And this is why distress has come upon us. Now we didn't hear before that, that he had begged for their freedom, but, but remember they, they had, had callously sat down and ate their lunch while Joseph was, was stuck there in that pit. Seems that they're, they're beginning to feel remorse. Their consciences are pricked. Joseph's plan seems to be beginning to work. His treatment of them is reminding them of their treatment of him. They're, they're revealing that they really feel bad about, about what they've done. They're acknowledging that they deserve this treatment. But it's not enough to feel bad about past sin. You need to repent. You need to confess it to the Lord. You need to seek, to for, seek forgiveness from Him and those whom you've sinned against. Well, now Reuben speaks. Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen? So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. He's revealing that he was not directly responsible for what had happened to Joseph. He wasn't there. He's also emphasizing that this is indeed justice coming down on them. But he's also revealing that he no longer holds any place of authority among the brothers, even though he is the eldest. He has no influence over them anymore. He, he takes no leadership. His words are just reduced to, I told you so. Now this was a telling conversation. But what they didn't know is that they were telling Joseph. They were speaking Hebrew and had no idea that he understood every word they were saying. In response, Joseph turned away from them and wept. Now Joseph's tears are telling too, but not to his brothers. Beneath this facade of his harsh words and this rough treatment, there, there beats a heart that remains soft towards his brothers. 
but there's more to be done. So he takes Simeon, the, the second oldest, the oldest of those who are guilty, and binds them before the brothers and takes him into prison, much as the brothers had seen Joseph bound before them 22 years earlier. Joseph has their bags filled with grain and gives them provisions for their journey, and he has their money put back in their sacks. And again, Joseph is, is blessing them with his food and his money, but he's, he's also providing them with further testing. Will they leave Simeon to rot in prison? Will they take the money and run? So they leave on the journey home. And when one of them opens his bag to get out some food to feed his donkey, he sees the money in the top of his sack. It tells his brothers and their, their hearts fail them. Now they would be charged not only with, with being spies, but also with being thieves. And they're terrified. And they say to one another, what is this that God has done to us? They're showing one level of awareness, but the reality of what is going on is, is hidden from them. Earlier, Joseph had said he feared God. And now they feared God, but not with the same kind of fear that Joseph had. His was reverent awe. Theirs is the, the running and hiding kind of fear. The kind of fear that, that Adam had when he sinned against God in the garden. But even still, they are conscious of God. They're acknowledging that God is at work here. They don't understand what he's doing. But they acknowledge that he's here and he's at work. They're aware of God. They're aware that they have sinned against God and that they are, they are fearful that God's hand is now against them. Now this could be a further step in the right direction. But again, this is not repentance or faith. This is not yet turning from sin, nor is it turning to God. Now it's common when someone is, is stricken with a guilty conscience that they will feel that God's hand is against them, against them. And in some senses, it is. Unbeliever, I need to ask you the question. Is God turning up the heat in your life through your guilty conscience to bring you by the power of His Spirit to repentance and faith? Is God at work in the, the circumstances, the, the difficult challenges that you are facing to wake you up to the eternal reality that you are His enemy? And if His hand is against you now, it will be against you eternally in hell if you do not repent and turn to Christ. Job 5.18 says, For God wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. And you got to be careful with, with Job because this quote is from Eliphaz, one of, of Job's supposed, supposed friends. And these guys were full of, of half-truths. But this is true. This principle is taught elsewhere in Scripture. Isaiah 30, 26. The Lord binds up the brokenness of His people. Listen to this. He heals the wounds inflicted by His blow. Come to Christ and see how He heals your wounds that have been inflicted by His blow. 
I know many, most people in this congregation can speak of ways that they were under heavy conviction in the midst of of challenges and trials as they began to realize that they had been sinners against a holy God. But by God's grace, He has forgiven them of their sin. They have turned to Him in repentance and faith and that they can now testify of the way that God has healed the wounds that He had once inflicted. Unbeliever, I would encourage you to go after the service to ask somebody in the church, somebody who you believe is a believer, and ask them, how has God done this in your life? How has God turned the situations around in your life? How has he healed these wounds that you once felt? Now in verses 29 to 38, the brothers return to Jacob. They return to Jacob and, and tell him the story. They tell him what has transpired. They emphasize the, the governor's power and his harsh treatment of them and, and gloss over some of the details that make them look bad, like exposing that they have a younger brother. They emptied their sacks and, and found that all of their money was returned. And now Jacob and his brothers are afraid. Jacob says, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Once again, the old man's heart is broken. He's lost Joseph. He's lost Simeon. And now they want to take Benjamin. Again, Reuben speaks, but misguidedly and again impotently. He says, kill my two sons if I do not bring Benjamin back to you. Put Benjamin in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Now what possible compensation or consolation would the death of Reuben's sons be for the loss of Benjamin? Reuben's position in the family is gone. Jacob refuses. My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Once again, Jacob is showing favoritism of Benjamin. He says that Benjamin is all he has left. He's telling the brothers that Benjamin is the only one that matters to him. Now in Chapter 43, moving quickly here in verses 1 to 15, Jacob sends his brothers back to Egypt. Now the second half of this story begins as the first. Once again, we're told that the famine is very severe in the land. Again, Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream is affirmed. The food that the brothers have brought back from Egypt has run out. And again, Jacob instructs his sons to go to Egypt to buy grain. And now the conversation turns to bringing Benjamin. Judah speaks, revealing his ascendancy in the family. He's becoming the leader as Reuben has faded into the background. Judah reminds his father of the governor's instructions that they would not see his face unless their younger brother was with them. And so staying here in Canaan and starving would be a death sentence. Going back without Benjamin could be a life sentence in prison for them 
or a death sentence for they would receive no food. So there's no point in going back without Benjamin. Jacob protests. Why did you do this to me? Why did you tell them that you had a brother? Well, again, they weren't truthful about the fact that they had volunteered the information. <clears throat> but again, Joseph, or Ju um, Judah shows his leadership. Whereas earlier, Judah was looking to profit at Joseph's expense. Now he is demonstrating self-sacrifice. He's willing to take personal responsibility for Benjamin's safety. Now the last time Judah offered something as a pledge, it wasn't under the best of circumstances. Let's leave it at that. But now he offers himself as the pledge. The Lord seems indeed to be at work in Judah's heart. Finally, Jacob agrees, again showing Judah's ascendancy in the family. But Jacob wants to do what he can to ensure success. So he, he sends gifts as an appeasement. Where has he done that before? These gifts are reminiscent of the ones also by the, the Ishmaelite traders that took Joseph with them in, that they took with Joseph in bonds to Egypt. Jacob instructs his sons to, to return the money and to pay double. He instructs them to take Benjamin and to go to the man, not knowing that the man is his son J Joseph, that he may send back your other brother, Simeon is not mentioned by name, and Benjamin. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Jacob is acknowledging his helplessness. He's acknowledging the fact that God is the one who must act. In verses 15 to 25, Joseph's brothers return to Egypt. The brothers follow their father's instructions. They take the gift. They take double the money. They take Benjamin and they return to Egypt and stand before Joseph. Now, almost two years have elapsed since they had left Egypt previously. I wonder what would have been going through Joseph's mind during that time while he waited for them to come back. Would he have wondered if they would have just been content to leave Simeon there in prison while they ate? As they had let him rot in the pit while he ate on that day so many years prior. But here they were. Here they were coming to him with Benjamin. And so when he saw Benjamin with them, he knew that there must be some change in their hearts, but just how much of a change was yet to be determined. He instructs his, his steward to prepare a feast for them. The brothers are still afraid. They're afraid that he's going to assault them, fall upon them, enslave them, and seize their donkeys. Now a guilty conscience often imagines the worst in others. They professed their innocence to the steward. Now this time they were innocent. The steward replies, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. He, the steward is pronouncing peace, shalom on them. He is testifying that God is behind the scenes. 
Remember, they had, they had said when they saw the money there, they said, what has God done to us? They don't realize that God is blessing them. Then the, the steward brought Simeon out to them, further evidence that, the, that they were not doomed. He brings the brothers now into Joseph's house. He provides them with water. They wash their feet. He provides food for their donkeys. And they prepare the present that they have brought with them. Now, they've been treated really well so far. They wonder what's going to happen next. In verses 26 to 34, Joseph's brothers feast at Joseph's table. When Joseph arrives, the brothers bow to the ground. Now, this is a further fulfillment of, of Joseph's dreams. Now all 11 of the brothers are bowing before him. The 11 sheaves and 11 stars are bowing before them, just as he had dreamed 22 years prior, but not the sun and the moon. His father and mother, they're still in Canaan. Joseph asks them intently about their welfare and about their father's welfare, and they reply that, that their father is well. And again, they bow before Joseph. They prostrate themselves to the ground. Now I wonder what would have been going through Joseph's mind at this moment. After all these years, is my family really about to be reunified? He wants to find out for sure what the state of their heart is. There's more tests to come. Joseph now turns his attention to Benjamin, his mother's son, his full brother, and pours out a blessing upon him. Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke? God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph is overcome with emotion. He rushes out of the room to weep. Now repeatedly we see Joseph weeping as his family is restored to him. Kenneth Matthew, Kenneth Matthew says that if Jeremiah is the so-called weeping prophet, Joseph is the weeping patriarch. Once Joseph composes himself, he comes out and gives the instruction, serve the food. He is served by himself. The other Egyptians that are there present are served by themselves. And the Hebrews are set to eat, left to eat by themselves. Because we're told it's an abomination for the Egyptians to eat with Hebrews. Now we're told later that this is because they are shepherds. And then Joseph has them seated. He has them seated in chronological order. Reuben and Simeon all the way down to Benjamin. They're being seated chronologically according to their age. Now, whereas at the, the beginning of chapter 42, they, they looked at each other in guilt, now they're looking at each other in amazement. How could he have possibly known the birth order? Food is given to each one of them. But to Benjamin, five portions, five times as much as they had received. Now this is part of the test as well. The youngest brother, their father's favorite, is receiving honor from this dignitary. Prefer this is preferential treatment being given to the favorite son. Now if the brothers are jealous of Benjamin, as they have been of Joseph, this treatment surely would have rubbed them the wrong way. But now they feast. Now they drink. They're, they're merry with Joseph. Isn't it ironic that 
that before the brothers ate, before the sale of Joseph into slavery, Joseph now shows great kindness to his brothers. But it's not over yet. Joseph is still going to test them. But he's wanting to create circumstances that Willie hopes lead to their repentance, to real transformation and to real reconciliation. And Joseph's harsh words with his brothers seem to have been part of a plan to, to help them to see their sin. But even if that's not true, even, even if he is just acting here at, within a selfish, fleshy response, the Lord is using these events to help the brothers see their sin. God is behind these events. The actions of others, even the sinful actions of others, are being used by God in your life. Ask yourself, when you see these things happening, ask yourself, what is it, Lord, that you want to show me? Is there something here that, that I don't see, something that I need to repent of? God is faithful. He will reveal that to you. He, he will, if you are a Christian, He will grant you repentance to these things. You'll begin to see how He's using these trials, whatever it is that, that rubs you the wrong way, whatever supposed mistreatment you're, you're experiencing, the thing that you're probably thinking about right now. You will see as you walk in repentance and, repentance and faith what God is doing in the circumstances. So a brother is born for adversity. Joseph was born for adversity in his brother's lives. But not just the adversity of famine. It's for the adversity of sin. He, he was born to help them to overcome their sin. God's providence in his life and theirs had led to this moment and the moments that come from, from here on in. Joseph is being used by God to redeem his brothers, to reconcile his, his family. And this again, we see Joseph as a type of Christ, not just in the provision of food, but also in leading his brothers to repentance. Now Joseph could never save his brothers' souls. They needed to come to one who is greater than Joseph. They needed to come to the greater Joseph. They needed to come in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. Old Testament saints are saved exactly in the same way as New Testament saints. Repentance and faith. Well, we're soon going to see what's going to happen with the brothers. But this passage begins with a famine and ends with a feast. It begins in harshness, but ends in hospitality. It began with the brothers looking at each other in guilt, and now they're looking at each other in amazement. The brothers have been tested, and thus far they're receiving a passing grade. The exam isn't over yet. There is another test coming, the final exam, the one that will prove once and for all what is really in their hearts, whether they have really changed. How have you responded to the tests and the trials in your life? Speaking just temporarily, not temporarily, 
But in time, have you responded with, with a passing grade? Have you responded with, with faith and obedience? And where you haven't responded with faith and obedience, have you responded with repentance? Because this is part of what a passing grade is. It, it comes to you through, through yes, through, through faith and obedience because of Christ. Because as you turn from your sin and put your faith in him, the sins that you committed in the past, the sins that you're committing now, the sins that you commit in the future, it is through repentance and faith that those things, that this passing grade comes to you. And external obedience is evidence of the fact that you have received not just a passing grade, that you have received a perfect grade because the perfect righteousness of Christ has been credited to you. So as we continue next week, Lord willing, in chapters 44 and 45, as, as this, this chapter really reaches, or this story really reaches its climax, let's look forward to seeing what God is doing in the hearts of Joseph's brothers for his glory and their good. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you are the sovereign ruler of the universe. You are in control over every planet, over every atom. There is not a square inch over this whole creation that you do not cry out, mine. Lord, you are sovereign over all and you are bringing all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose and you are working all things ultimately for your glory. And so we praise you, Lord, as your glory is testified to in this passage. We pray that you would help us to respond to these things with, with repentance and faith of our own sins. Lord, you'd help us to to examine ways that you have been and are at work in our lives, revealing our guilt to us and revealing our need of a Savior even now, whether it's, whether it's those who are, are here as unbelievers or those who are here as who, those who have been Christians for many years, that you'd help us to see that we need Christ every bit as much today as we did on that day when we were first saved. Lord, will you help us to look to your sovereign hand of providence orchestrating everything so that we will be transformed into the image of Christ by your grace and for your glory ever increasingly accurate reflections of Christ to this dead and dying world. If we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen.